something so cool when we're going into Acts and looking at the way that the gospel moved out into the whole world to have it uh, uh, read out to us in multiple languages. I don't know, do you guys ever wonder if, um, uh, how far east the Magi were from? Like if they were far enough, if they were far enough uh, east, maybe uh, maybe uh, Chinese was and or Mandarin was actually a language uh, much more like the one that was first <laughs> Jesus was first worshipped in uh, than certainly much more than English possibly. Anyway, uh, let's pray together. Where God's about to speak to us from His Word, uh, so let's ask that I faithfully bring His Word to us, and uh, that our hearts would be open to hear Him, and that we would respond because uh, what we what we're particularly one of the things we're going to pick up is that there's, there's three responses, three big categories of response we hear so far in Acts. And let's ask God that He would be with us as our heart probably responds a little bit in each of the three ways. So let's together um, come to God. Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you and thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gospel that He is King. It is a good news because it's Jesus, because He is so good, because He has died for our sins, because it means that we, no matter what we've done this week, no matter what we were thinking on the way here, no matter the sins we have committed, that, Lord, if we but come to you, then you will forgive us our sins and restore us to joy. Now, Father, there's going to be a mixture of all of these things in all of us, a mixture of sin, a mixture of your created goodness of just human awesomeness, also a, a mixture of the, the new life in those who are following Jesus, the Holy Spirit's renewal of us and the beauty of that coming out too. And so, Fathers, we have all of these different bits and pieces of responses within us to your word. Father, help us to bring them to you, to come to you through your Son in your Spirit. And, Father, please treat us well as you've promised. Please be as gracious as you have said that you will be, so that we might be more like Jesus and more, a more beautiful bride for him. And we ask it in his name for his glory. Amen. All right, well, uh, I would love to share with you tonight, this afternoon three responses to the gospel announcement and three things that we learn about the church. And so let's get straight into it. Uh, we, we come to the Acts 8, and, and this news is, is starting to go out, and that's actually not had a particularly good response in Jerusalem. Just like Jesus, his followers' relationship with the Jewish religious authorities deteriorates more quickly the more closely they actually come into contact with each other. Uh, God's chosen people are, are a lot like his chosen one in their relationship with the Jewish uh, authorities. And so... A great persecution breaks out. Opposition is the first response to the gospel that we hear as the word is preached. And the believers get scattered. And it's worth noting, particularly where too, it's out throughout Judea and Samaria. Do you remember at the start of the gospel, of start of um, uh, uh, the, the second volume of the gospel, the start of Acts, Jesus says, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now we actually get for the first time this, outside the city limits. Something new is happening here. But it seems the opposite of good. It doesn't seem like, oh, they got together and, you know, the elders had a mission plan and all the, all the people got on board and they were all loyal, united in the vision and they all go, no, no they were just running Everyone except the apostles. Now, as they go, they preach the word. All of them do, not just the, the apostles. And so we, we pick up just one of these people. It happens to be Philip. 
one of the seven deacons who was, out, who was uh, designated, set aside, to make sure that the Greek-speaking widows got enough food in the distribution. And he preaches the word, particularly in this little Samaritan village. And they pay close attention to what he says. They listen really carefully. In fact, they believe him and they get baptized. Now, this is quite strange. Like, you've got Samaritans here joining up with a Jewish Messiah. Like, 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 like religion is just one of the many things that Jews and Samaritans love to hate each other for, right? They are not friends. And here, you've got Samaritans bowing the knee to a Jew. This is a really interesting development. This is a clearly a work of the Spirit. And so it's understandable that Peter and John are like, we, we, we better go see what's going on up here. And so they head up to see what's happening. Now, did you notice that it's actually before Peter and John get there that miracles start happening? You notice the miracles? It's pretty exciting, isn't it? I, I, I like this idea. I like the idea of my friends being healed from their sicknesses. I like the idea of all spiritual darkness leaving from the places that are the the heart places of my friends who are down and depressed. This is beautiful. Now, uh, am I the only one who, I'm assuming that I'm not, when you're reading Acts, you're thinking, oh, miracles, hey? This is cool. So God, why not now? Why not now? I don't see this. If I go around, no, there's no one lining up to have my shadow go, go sort of cast over them so that they might be healed. And yet Jesus says he's king, and this Bible claims that he's still just as powerful now. Why, is it, why aren't these things happening now? It's hard to fathom. Surely, Jesus, my faith would be so much more complete and so much better if, if, if I could just see something like that. There's, yet, despite this, question we might have, they were seeing it. And there was this great joy to it. The whole town, just, just, just happy. And, and it's not just that they got to see cool stuff. It's not the Ecker, right? Fireworks, so cool, happy. It's not. It's the doctor's surgery is empty, I'm happy. It's the doctors can go home from the hospital, I'm happy. Because all the people who were once sad and who were worried about losing, we now have and are healthy. There's a joy in that town. But there's a second question here as well. Not about what was present, but if the Holy Spirit's so active in doing all these things, well, why hasn't the Holy Spirit fallen on them? Did you notice that? That Holy Spirit hasn't actually rocked up yet. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. You think, well, hold on, that's about, isn't that about enough? In fact, doesn't the Holy Spirit have to have moved in someone to get them to claim the name of Christ, which is what being baptized is. You're saying, yeah, I'm identifying myself with Jesus. And he's, he's there doing these miracles, he's, but he hasn't been put. What is going on? This is a strange situation. Now, it gets stranger because the Holy Spirit is not the only one who is doing miracles. And we get to our second response. Oh, sorry, this was the going out slide. This is the second response, which is jealousy. You see, a man named Simon had been practicing sorcery in that city and had amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be someone great. Simon, the great divine power. He was genuinely famous, this guy. So if you've ever heard of Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, he claims actually he had even, this guy had even followers in Rome and possibly even a statue dedicated to him in Rome. 
So Simon's not a, he's not a two-bit sort of like bloke on the street, you know, little kid with like a little, like, you know, those um, little wands and you press the button and pff, little flowers come out. Ta-da! He's, he's the, the world has actually got a recognition for this guy. And yet, he's got nothing on Philip. Or should I say, he's got nothing on God. Apparently, he knows that he can't compete because he doesn't even try to compete. He, he can't beat him, he just joins them. And when Peter and John arrive, he's following Philip around. And they start laying hands on people. And all of a sudden, one of our two difficulties gets relieved. The Holy Spirit arrives on the scene. They pray, ask Spirit, will you pour out on these people? And then they lay on their hands and people receive him. And response to Simon gets jealous. Oh, he wants this. He can smell, uh, no, honor, power, even greater power than he had before, a buck. Or maybe he's just jealous that he, these guys have taken away the attention that he once had. It's hard to tell because he could be all of the above. He doesn't say exactly. And yet jealousy is pretty clearly at the heart of this, a bitter jealousy, as Peter says later. Now, do you notice about the way that the Spirit was given here? I, I, I always, before I sort of looked at this more carefully again this week, I'd always kind of thought it was a little bit weird. Like it did look a little bit like a parlor trick. You know, you rock up, stick your hands on people, ta-da, got the Holy Spirit. Somehow that seemed to be visible in some way. It doesn't even say how, we don't know. Don't know if they were starting to speak in Mandarin or what. We we're not sure if they had tongues or, or whatever it was that meant that they could see. But all of a sudden, it, it looked like a parlor trick. And yet, it wasn't that. Because it was when Peter and John prayed. Have any of you ever had, uh, throw a hand up, if you've ever had, uh, like some, some people from church put, lay hands on you. Yep, you've had it happen. Um, okay, a few people, yeah. What, what then, as soon as they put their hands on you, that might seem slightly socially awkward, what happened next? Do you, what, like literally what happened next when they put their hands on you? Was there, what did they do? They prayed. Yeah. That's what it's for. You lay your hands on someone in order to ask God to bless them. And Peter and John did that. It's the Holy Spirit's choice whether he falls on the Samaritans or not. Peter and John are acting in faith. They are stepping out, going to these unclean Samaritans, particularly Samaritan women. You don't, if you're a Jewish man, you do not touch a Samaritan woman. But yet, clearly here, directly said, men and women, just in case you don't miss the point, because you don't know if she'll have done the Jewish purification rituals that are appropriate for a woman each month. You don't know that. You can't. This is the, the, the classic Jewish attitude. And yet they are laying on hands, asking, Holy Spirit, may it not be that I become ritually unclean, but actually that we both become holy through you. Both become clean through you, because we were both unclean. Now, Simon, on the other hand, says, Neat trick. Can I buy it off you? Got cash. And doesn't it feel yuck? Like it just, the guy. I, I, I just the kind, I couldn't find a you know like I didn't find a picture of a slime ball you know enough to represent the yuck and the wrong and the foolishness of this. But Simon wants honor to be the top of the food chain, and so I can only imagine when when someone else who's jealous of somebody else's honor in the church, and who wants that popularity and brings money to buy prestige. What are you reminded of? someone coming to the apostles with money to purchase prestige. I can't help but think that Peter flashes right back to Ananias and Sapphira when he says, hey, you better be careful because you, know, you, you better repent now or 
You don't know what God's going to do. We just, had, we just buried some people back home. It was terrible. It was sad. Now, Simon gets the point. He, 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 he realizes this is real because he's he, he scared. He cringes at Peter's feet when Peter says, may your money perish along with you. And we don't know what happened to him from there on. We don't know whether he humbled himself before God, whether he took his heart to God and got his heart right, or whether he was just kept on doing just enough of the right things to not get punished too badly. Peter and John, though, they're just too busy getting on telling people that Jesus loves them, telling people that Jesus is the king, and they go and preach the good news of the Messiah Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, all around the Samaritan towns that they can on the way back to Jerusalem. It's beautiful. And so we get to our third response, really, as they go around the towns, more joy. Now, we're going to bring joy into this next story as well. See, God's not done with Philip either, and he sends him an angel, kind of like a divine Google Maps, and much like Google Maps often did in its early days, it directed him to the side of the road and desert highway. Uh, I've had a few bad Google Maps experiences in my time. Uh, there's some cars that I've owned whose suspension never recovered from the dirt roads that Mel and I have bounced up and down on. Uh, and when the Holy Spirit tells him when he gets to this location, which I wish I'd had that kind of guidance at that moment, it says, Philip, it's time for some hitchhiking. There's someone coming. So this chariot fangs up. It's coming south from Jerusalem. And there's this, this, uh, this black man in the, in the chariot. So this is just a just, this is just the Ethiopian Prime Minister who won a Nobel Prize and everyone liked. Apparently, I just found out this afternoon that also now everyone hates him because he's a jerk in other ways. Anyway, sorry, bad, bad image. The idea is there's an Ethiopian bloke who is a high official, who that guy is officially, in the Queen's Court. Now, that's a strange thing because he's also a eunuch. So this guy is like the definition of a mixture of weird things. He has got the highest rank in this illustrious kingdom, which, which uh, Ethiopia or the, the Moray kingdom down in the lower reaches of the Nile was, and yet he's a eunuch, sort of a really socially, social outsider, a nobody, a, and he's also a strange mixture, mixture when it comes to spiritual issues as well, because he's not ethnically Jewish at all. He's come from the literal, a place that literally gets referred to in ancient texts as the ends of the earth. And he can't even get circumcised to convert to Judaism. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship, but they wouldn't let him in the temple. But he still went. And, he's, and I mean, you guys in Hobart, seriously, if it's over 15 minutes, you struggle. <laughs> Came from the center of Africa to Jerusalem to a place he knew would be closed to him when he got there. Now, people read out loud in those days. Like, reading in your head didn't become a thing for like a thousand years or so after this. So when Philip gets close, he hears, and he's like, whoa, hold on. I, I, I know that. That's Isaiah. And they're very interesting verses that the Holy Spirit has arranged for him to be reading as well. Remember, at some point in life, this man went through the experience of having his sexual organs removed. For those who didn't know, that's what a eunuch is. Being forever different to everyone else and unable to produce children. And Holy Spirit, knowing his heart, knowing what he's been through, has him read this. Maybe reminding him of a trauma experience. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? 
for his life was taken from the earth. I don't know if Philip was sensitive to any of that stuff, but he's sensitive in his, resp- in his question, wasn't he? He says, do you, do you understand what's going on with this reading? How can I, unless someone explains it to me? He says. And once again, we get a member of the seven deacons, the guys who are meant to be waiting on tables, teaching the story of our universe through the Jewish Old Testament, how we needed a hero, and he has now come, Jesus, who had his life taken from him, who was humiliated, who was left out, who was bodily disfigured and died, and yet he did that to win heaven and earth back, and who won that fight, and who now rules heaven and earth. Now see, this man, when he hears that, he hears a message of the resurrection of someone just like him. Now look, um, some people have um, suggested in an attempt to, to, to love, uh, I think a really good attempt to love, that this guy was gender non-conforming. He, he's trans, some have argued. He's a queer guy. Now we've got we to carefully weigh this up. Is this true? Is that, is that a, a helpful way to think about what's going on here? There's sort of a, a, a no, and then a little, and then there's a no and a but. In terms of the, what a 21st century person might mean by those kinds of words, absolutely no. That's a thoroughly anachronistic conclusion, reading our categories back into theirs. That's terrible history work. I mean, first century categories of thinking were so unbelievably different to ours. Uh, in the Roman world, who you had sex with wasn't an expression of your own personal tastes. Who you were allowed to have sex with, socially speaking, was an indicator of your social status. Morality depended on where you were. And not just, oh, he can get away with it, but we think he's disgusting for doing so. They're like, no, 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 he's great. He can do whatever he likes. His wife, not so much. But like, he can sleep with or do whatever he wants with his slaves, and that's, that's totally fine, because he's so great. That's part of the honour, isn't it? The morality changed depending on who you were. There were social rules around this sort of stuff. It's a, it was, it's a complex sexual ethic. If you were high class, it was perfectly acceptable for you to be the active partner, but thoroughly shameful for you to be the passive recipient of an act. You see, sex was about status. Just a completely different way of thinking that in no way gels with our modern categories. So, so no, this guy's not, 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 not queer in the way that, that, that people would use that word today. But, humour me for a moment. Here's what the World Health Organization says when it This is what we mean when we say gender. It says, gender refers to the characteristics of women, men, girls and boys that are socially constructed. So the things that are that. This includes norms, behaviours and roles associated with being a woman, man, girl or boy, as well as relationships with each other. And and it's true, there are those things do exist. It is normal for blokes in Africa to hold hands. It's less normal for blokes in Hobart to hold hands. That's, that's, That's a thing. There are, those things exist. There are constructs like that and a eunuch was a totally different class of person when it came to norms behaviors roles and relationships if that's all we're talking about then to call this man something like non-binary would be totally accurate a eunuch was regarded as neither a man nor a woman nor a woman according to the jewish philosopher philo Uh, they were unable to perform many roles and yet specifically entrusted with other roles. They were a completely different third social category. And when you add it all up, 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is this is a, a uh, this is an intersectionalist's dream, isn't it? In terms of the, the categories that this guy adds up, I mean, the Holy Spirit was so specific when He chose the the person to to bring Philip to. He's black. He's neither a man nor a woman. He's an accountant. Like you know, like so so so. How much more socially disadvantaged can one person be? So we've got an accountant in our growth group who sort of thinks of accountants quite negatively. And not I don't. So if you have always known that you are really different to everyone around you, or if you've, maybe you've had your choice of romantic partner really limited, or even maybe by your preferences, by what you naturally want, but you want to honour Jesus, so you, don't, so you don't want to express that, if that circumstance has taken away the idea of a romantic partner from you forever completely. Or maybe you have no hope of producing children like this guy. Or maybe you can just tell that there's a lot of people around you who, who no matter what capabilities you have, like this guy can read. He's already elite in that world, right? And yet so many will look down on you because of your colour of your skin or the shape of your eyes, as would have happened to this guy. Well, look, if any of those categories is you, then please know that God, when he took his news to the world outside of Jerusalem, to the place outside the center, that he came for someone like you first. It was someone like you that his love targeted. And I mean targeted. Like, like I don't think you can target someone as strongly as this guy was targeted. Like, he had an angel, the divine GPS system, tell him to go here. And then the Holy Spirit rocks up and says, all right, this is the, this is the guy you've got to talk to. To a specific spot on the highway that he's about to drive past at the exact moment that he's reading the Bible, in the perfect verse to explain Jesus to him, but also the perfect verse to highlight his situation and his life story, and possibly the greatest miracle to a, of, of this confluence of, of events and they found the greatest miracle of all of them really that, that there's a bloke willing to ask for directions in and amongst it he was humble enough to say i don't know how to navigate this text i need you to explain it to me why did god specifically do it like this and then make sure it was recorded like this so that you're hearing it right now if you relate to this guy at some level so you'd hear him targeting you with his gospel, with his message. And so what's your response to that going to be? Will be opposition? Be angry because God's put you in the situation that he has put you in. You've got some of those difficulties. Will it be jealousy? Oh, there's other Christians who got so much easier than me. I don't have to deal with what I've got to deal with. Or will it be joy? That in God's tender mercy, God is speaking to you right now. Asking you to repent of your sins and be included in his people. And not just be included, like, like to, to be God's new people. To, 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 to be. So this guy was an outsider who went to the temple, who wasn't allowed in, and now he's saying, I see some water there. Can I, become, can, can I join the people? Can I become God's new temple? I wasn't even allowed in before. Now people are going to come to me to know God to find a place that is inhabited by God. And so having left Jerusalem, this, this man, well, through him the gospel went to Africa well before it went to Europe. All right. Where do we go from here? Three things about the church. Three things about the church. And then our three responses. The first one is that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one who builds it. 
See, throughout the book of Acts, God is the great evangelist. He arranges things. He's putting the circumstances into place. And, and, and even when people are trying to attack him, their opposition are arranging a whole bunch of conspiracies against him, they just end up working out for what, to, to, to make God's work happen faster. The persecution of God's church was what scattered the word of God all over Judea and Samaria. It wasn't happening until that point. This is, this is, this is like when the, the bamboo curtain lifts and, and we're thinking, well, it's been so horrible how Christians have been persecuted there for so long. And then we realize, oh, it seems like there's about 100 million Christians in China that have just exploded underneath that persecution. God loves doing this. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one who builds his church. Have confident joy, brothers and sisters, that Jesus will build his church. Your, your workplace's policy on, share, on spiritual conversations will not stop Jesus building his church. Your inability to speak quite as clearly as you'd like will not stop Jesus building his church. And your friend's rage and anger at God will not stop Jesus from building his church if he wants to save that person. The things that seem bad for it, God makes the best thing for it. Now, I've probably kind of already made that point. Oh, sorry, I did just make that point. No, it's the second one. Uh, we've basically said it, so I don't need to say much. But I guess the thing is to say that it's actually quite an upside-down kingdom is Jesus' church. Many things work the opposite in the kingdom of God as to how they work in the world. And I think sometimes we actually forget that. Sometimes we can... If we focus too much on trying to make things easy... For Christians, if that's our goal, well, maybe, maybe we're not got Jesus' goals in mind quite in the same way. We'll, we'll, we'll say a little bit more about that later, but the third one now. So, yeah, it is, it is. Being a Christian, it's a bummer of a birthmark. You know that, you're gonna, you know that there's going to be some hard things. Living out Christianity does mean opposition. And, and we need to be careful before we invest too heavily into making things good and easy for Christians. We want to do love and good deeds, including to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to the maximum, yes, we, yes. But where the purpose becomes defending ourselves instead of advancing the gospel, see, there's an upside-down way that God progresses the gospel in a way that we wouldn't do it. See, I, 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 it, this is a mentality thing, not, not, not saying don't ever try and make the life easier for your friends in the gospel because we are encouraged to try and live quiet lives so that there's peace in the realm so that we can share the gospel as widely as we can. But what if we succeeded in reducing the amount of persecution that Christians received at the cost of people coming into the kingdom or, or the cost of growth in Christ that would have happened because that persecution would have made us godlier and holier and the bride would be less beautiful because we got, managed to get rid of the persecution of Christians? Like I just want to open that category up for us because it's, it's, not, it's not what I want. I don't want persecution. I don't like suffering. And yet God says here, my priority is actually to be his kingdom. And what God gives me, he will use for my good and for his church's good. Uh, third thing about churches. When God, God's word breaks new ground, the Holy Spirit tends to confirm its authenticity in whatever way is necessary. So I'd love there to be miracles now as I go around preaching. I'd love to be able to walk through town. And not just, I would, not because it's showy, but because there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of, uh, I was catching up with Chris in the, what's the park that we catch up in, Chris, the one 
St. David's Park on, on Geddes, um, and there's a bunch of people living in tents underneath the big tree there now, as of just recently, I think, because I haven't seen them before, and rock up and have a chat to them, and that was, that was, that was funny. They were, they were hilarious. I really, I really enjoyed them. Um, but it's clear that they've got some hard stuff they're going through, and I would love to be able to click my fingers and take that part of their life away. I so want that. And yet, that's something that God seems to reserve for his last day, but when his word is on the line, when people knowing him and trusting in him and breaking into a whole new area is on the line, God does seem to authenticate his message. Now, he sometimes does it through miracles, but God always authenticates his word as you see it in people's lives through obedience to that word and through joy at the grace that it brings. Joy, that third response. The obedience to the word and a joy in God. Now, three responses. You're nearly there. All three, I think all of us are all three of these at some point or another. I think at some point all of us are actually opposition. See, some of us find that the gospel threatens our God. I mean, that was, that was, the, problem with, that was the problem with the Jews, that their idol was their own power, at least these Jewish leaders, sorry, was what I meant to say. And Jesus threatens them. That's why Saul attacked the church, tried to destroy it, and he only ended up growing it. And it's why Jesus was killed. It was why Jesus was killed, because their, their idols, their power, their thing that they put all of their eggs in that basket was threatened. And see, I wonder if, why is it that the Spirit isn't working in my life in the ways that I want? I wonder if there's a part of me that doesn't want him to. I wonder if there's a part of me that actually I really like these things that I like because that's what I like. That's what I've been using to get through life. And I can't, I, I, I want that. And so I'm actually opposing the Spirit. See, if we have an area of our life where the Spirit's not working, I wonder if it's worth asking what thing in me is resisting him? What am I holding on to that I don't want threatened? And is it worth it? a question. Secondly, others see the good that the gospel brings and they think, well, I'll have me some of that. Ananias and Sapphira, Simon the Magician, prosperity gospel preachers, your average evangelical run-of-the-mill good doctrine preacher, but who really is doing it to fill up the hole in their heart because they feel like they're worthless and they desperately need some affirmation and this is something they seem to be so good at and everyone applauds them for having such good doctrine or such good this or such good that or such good could be nasty as people steal money through the guise of religion or it could be nice as Alain de Botton, the, uh, the famous sort of uh, um, atheist church guy who started an atheist church, just wants everybody to be lovely and everything to be, to be really wonderful and we'll just use all of the good things that church has to make, to make things nice so people will be really good. Others see the good that the gospel brings and think, I'll have me some of that and I'll have it but I'll have it without Jesus. And Peter to Simon says, no, I see there's something wrong in your heart. Don't be jealous for the things that the gospel brings. You've got to know Jesus and bow the knee before him. So if you're feeling a little bit of gospel jealousy somewhere along the line, it's a thing in your heart to know. It can take two Jesus. Lastly, we receive forgiveness in the gospel 
we get times of refreshing in the gospel. We get the burden of, 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 of living a good life, taking off our shoulders in the gospel and get given the purpose of living a good life rather than the burden of it. We receive the Holy Spirit and his presence, uh, at times healings and at times suffering to bring us closer to God. We receive so much in the gospel. And if you're there, if, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, okay, I hear you saying the opposition bit, I hear you saying the jealousy bit, but I don't know if that's me, Pete. I think you're being a bit hard. And you're just like, I just love God. I just love being with him. I love praying. I, I, I love telling people how good he is. I love singing. That, that, those, the way that you know, Benjamin and the, and the musicians so carefully put together that, that, that stuff tonight, it shows that they love him so much and want us to just enjoy seamlessly this beautiful time praising him. Mean, I just love that. It's so good. I just have great joy in being with God. Then you're doing it right. That's what's meant to be. Joy. A third response. Sometimes, as anyone who's talked to me for long enough um, will get annoyed at, annoyed at um, I, I, stick into the, I stick into things that get emotionally difficult. <laughs> Not really. I just ask you questions until you go there if you want to. And um, sometimes we cry together. And sometimes we find that there's a thing about God, as we do that, we find there's a thing about God that we can't believe. That he would really love me like this that he would really accept me like this, that the relationship could be like this, unlike the other relationships that I've had. And, and, and just think, that's all nice and good for every other Christian. And I could say it to someone else even. I could probably even read the same verse you're reading to me to someone else, and it'd do exactly the same thing. But not for me. I, can't, I can't, just can't go there in my heart. I just can't feel it. I just can't, can't connect with it. It can't be real for me here. I'll never change. I'll never be different than this. It's just how it is for me. You will have joy one day. One day your heart will be able to let go of that opposition to God, that opposition to, to God actually loving you that much in that way. Whatever it is for you, this thing that you just can't receive the gospel and let God be the gracious, joyful one who just loves you like the perfect dad is just joyful to see you. One day God will get rid of that opposition. But we can do that together. You're, he, what he loves to do is he loves to do it through us. Maybe there's a chance for you to do what the Samaritans did and listen very carefully to God's word to see if it's true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are, have been really, really good to us in sending your son. Jesus, we honor you for laying down everything for us. And Spirit, we ask now that you would help us to receive this message and receive this King. Father, help us to lay down our opposition to your desire to rule every element of our lives because that's only for our good that you would. Father, help us to lay down our idols, the things that we might otherwise go to, rely on. Put them away. And instead receive your love and joy. Father, put away in us, we ask, the sin of jealousy where we see what others seem to, how others seem to be blessed in you and manipulate or, or whatever to get that thing. Father, clean our hearts of bitterness and of envy so that all that might be left is the joy of knowing and being with 
you, our Heavenly Father. Amen.